Welcome, 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 welcome everyone to another episode of Completely Cedric. Today we're going to tackle special needs parenting. And I have a wonderful person with me as a guest tonight. Welcome, pastor, author, fellow podcaster, and all-around mom, author Monique Duell. Hey, hey. Hello, Mo. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's such a pleasure to have you on tonight. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This is an awesome opportunity. Bless you. Oh, God bless you. And for, and for all the listeners out there, Monique was a very instrumental in encouraging me to do this podcast in the first place. So I want to let y'all know that. So, most of those that are listening aren't familiar with you. Share a little bit of your story. Well, um, I am a mother of a 21-year-old with cerebral palsy. And uh, like yourself, uh, And he needs uh, 24-7 care. And we went through the journey. You know, we we went through the journey of of going from um, me being married to his father. Um, I do have an older son, Ronald. Um, Jeremiah came at a time where we were, that we were not expecting. Uh, We deliberately planned for Ronald, but we did not. Um, you know, playing for Jeremiah. And um, around, hmm, I think the third month of my pregnancy, I began having complications. Um, and from that point on until I had him at 27 weeks, which is just shy of seven months, it was very painful. I bled all day and all night. I was weak and tired. Um, but God is so faithful because I didn't need a blood transfusion or any of those kinds of things. Jeremiah came in on a Sunday morning at um, two pounds and 10 ounces. And from that point on, our journey started. I did not know what cerebral palsy was. He was diagnosed during the time when AOL had just come out, the internet, um, and computers had just came out. Uh, I think the most, I believe it was, before Hewlett Packard and Apple and everybody else or something. And I had to do research to find out what cerebral palsy was, how he possibly got it, and what it meant for his future. And for you being a mother again, what did that feel like to hear those words? Your son has cerebral palsy. Um it to the cartoon where where somebody's heart is shattered into 50 million pieces. You ever seen cartoons and they really like somebody or love somebody and 
the person didn't give them the answer that they wanted and their heart just shatters on the ground and just falls into 50 million pieces. That's how I felt. It, w- it was almost like the doctor was echoing it in my head and in my spirit. It's like when you're in an empty room and somebody says something and the acoustics make it louder and it resonates. It just did not... Um, it did not feel how I thought it would feel. I knew that Jeremiah was not meeting particular milestones, but I talked it up to because he just didn't want to, you know, or he wasn't ready. Not because that, not because there was something else, you know, going on with him that. And so the doctor was not very. Um, he didn't have very good bedside manner. He just kind of told me and his dad that he had cerebral palsy, walked out the room and gave me a pamphlet and expected me to know what that meant instead of explaining kind of sort of what it meant. Um, I didn't get the full explanation until I think I made his first appointment to one of the specialists that they um, assigned for him to see who thoroughly explained what it actually meant. And so it was devastating, you know, as a mother, you know, you, we're carriers, and so we just automatically assume that our babies are going to be perfect, perfectly healthy, all parts in place, you know, nothing broken, nothing missing. And to hear that there is a breach somewhere in his brain, it was devastating. I'm, I'm wondering if you felt the way my mother must have felt like maybe God had abandoned you and Jeremiah through this situation. Oh, yeah. It was like, I'm like, it was like, well, hey, God, um, did you forget to do something while I was pregnant with him? I was married. Uh, I was a Christian and, you know, that okay this baby is going to be a blessing from the Lord not to say that he's not but you get what I'm saying and okay is this punishment for something that I didn't do or you know something bloodline did and you know I I just I had all thoughts Um, the anger kicked in first And then the denial and the sadness, the overwhelming grief, because I realized that at that moment, my son probably would not be able to do all of the things that his big brother could do. And it felt horrible as a woman and as a mother. It felt horrible. I felt like I, you know, I did something wrong and it was my fault. And so then I went into this mommy mode where I felt like I had to fix him, you know, try to fix what was wrong with him. So that he wouldn't be teased or stared at or mocked and or people would look at me and say, what did you do when you was pregnant? You know, you, you get those stares and you have family members who say stuff without directly saying stuff to imply, you know, maybe there was something wrong with you because nobody else has it and all that. So, yeah, I, I felt like your mom. Now. I can only imagine what my mother must have felt because as you know, I'm a little bit older than Jeremiah. So when I was born, 
there was no AOL, no none of that. My mother went to the library and went and read from the medical dictionary. As you stated in your own personal testimony, my mom said the doctor just rattled off right into Cedric might not do this, Cedric might not do that, and then kind of just left the room to go home. What was Say that again. What was the process like for you to now start dealing with the fact that Jeremiah is diagnosed with this condition? What was that like? It was overwhelming because I went from just having a pediatrician to having an orthopedic, uh, um, um, a psychologist, uh, um, a special eye doctor because he had to wear glasses, um, case managers because he needed a special wheelchair and a special car seat. And third, PT and OT doctors. I went from having one doctor to like seven, and so it, it was it was a mess. It, it was like I, my life was in shambles because I was like, how how am I supposed to take him to all of these things and keep up with all of these appointments and give him all of these therapies to make his life better? And I and I tried. I literally did. I I threw myself in head first. Um, through, through the process of going through all of that, the, the marriage had ended and dissolved. And um, I was now a single mother trying to deal with all of this with, with, with his older brother. They were toddlers then. So trying to handle all of that and then transitioning to having to have, have housing and ending, ended up living in, in a homeless shelter for a few months until we finally got stabilized it was a lot it was it was like nonstop between the guilt of the divorce and the guilt of him having cp i it, it was bad for a while you know mentally and emotionally and spiritually for me it was bad did you ever feel like you had to hide jeremiah from anyone um, yes and no. I didn't feel like I had to hide him from anyone, but I didn't want to talk about the cerebral palsy because when he was younger, you really couldn't tell. Only thing that you could tell was that, you know, he had a um, um, a problem with his eyes and he had to wear glasses. That was it. He didn't show any visible signs of spasticity or any of those things or language barriers or any of that. He, um, for the most part, was a typical baby, you know, and a typical toddler. He could scoot and roll and all that sort of stuff, so nobody noticed. But as time grew, yeah, I felt like I had to because I felt like if I didn't, people weren't going to see me 
as the woman that I am, they will only see, okay, something's wrong with her because she had a disabled child. I even felt like that when it came to dating. I was like, if I don't tell the man that, you know, I have a disabled child, I'll be okay until, you know, the rubber meets the road and then it's up to him whether he want to leave or not. So, yeah, I did. I did feel like I had to do that. I mean, I hid my feelings and my emotions from my family. They didn't know how I really felt or what I was thinking. So, yeah. I can only say being on the other end of it, you don't really realize that there's a problem going on with your parent until you get to a place where their facial expressions and body language mm-hmm. allow no longer hide. Yeah. Yeah, it was uncomfortable. It was. Amen, amen, amen. Because I can say being in certain places where I would go with my mom just have this look. Mm-hmm. would say, oh, it's so good that he gets out. Oh, mm. so strong. Oh, so strong to be taking care of him. My mother really didn't show it, but that wounded her a lot. Yeah, it wounded me as well when people would say that. And I've said this in another interview, the comments like, better you than me. God knew what he was doing. So exactly this that me. You know, um, they, those are not um, encouraging words. They're, they're condescending. And I almost felt like I was being teased almost. Um, yes. And it's, a, you know, it's really a shame that, the, that there's still this same level of ignorance in 2022 with all of the info that's out there all of the resources for people to find out what they need to know instead of assuming based on what they've heard. And, um, you know, being called strong uh, is not necessarily a compliment because that lets me know that you know that I'm dealing with a lot and yet you refuse to offer your help. So, yeah. What was finally the breaking point for you to reach out to God and be honest about the and the guilt and the depression that you were experiencing? Um, one day Jeremiah was crying or something, and I know that I had already done everything I needed to do, and I think he probably just wanted to be held. And nobody told me about postpartum depression. And I really believe that's what I was going through. That was the first breakdown. I'll I'll start with that one. And before I knew it, I literally picked him up. I snatched him up, matter of fact. and was like, why are you crying type? And when I tell you the piercing guilt that I had that pierced my soul, I screamed. 
and I held him and I cried and I was like, oh my God, mommy, sorry. What, you know, like, what am I doing? I, I literally almost took my child to death. I almost, and I honestly believe that because God knew what I was trying to say when I prayed to him for help, that's, he probably would be dead and I probably would be in jail now. It happened so fast. And when I hear talk about, you know, how they've harmed themselves or harmed their children because of postpartum, you really don't, you really don't know how you're going to react to that kind of pressure until it's too late because it does, it happens so quick and it's so subtle. By the time you realize you're doing it, you have done it. And I'm glad that I knew after the fact, you know, what postpartum depression was and how to deal with it. And I and I started going to therapy early um, when Jeremiah was a baby because I really didn't know that that's what that was. I just thought that I was just overwhelmed with being a new wife with another toddler and then having him being diagnosed and our world was already turned upside down. So, yeah. And so, having gone to therapy and stuff to deal with your postpartum, was the fact that you had to grieve Jeremiah in a certain sense not being normal as this society puts it? It is grief. Um, because you because even though they're alive, they're not the person that you envisioned. And so now your whole life has to adjust to meet their needs. And like I said, you want to do, I'm not going to say normal, you want to do typical stuff like go walk in the park and go swimming and, and, and go get on roller coasters and stuff with your kids. I could do that with Ronald, but I couldn't do it with him. So I had to divide myself now between, you know, any parent does, don't get me wrong, but when it came to able body things, a lot of that stuff he was left out of because all he could do was spectate. And guess what? He was perfectly fine with that. He loved to see his brother laughing and things like that. That would make him happy. He would flap his little hands and feet and stuff. And But it destroyed me because I'm like, I just really want you to be able to interact with your brother, horseplay with him and stuff. And the first time I saw them two on, on his little play my plane, it literally broke my heart because I, in a good way because I was like, wow, he can actually, you know, play with his brother. He's interacting with him and, and trying to wrestle him and hit him with the pillow. Jeremiah did what he could do where he was. Now, it wasn't what I expected in the way that I expected it, but he was interacting was communicating and so I had to learn him you know in in a cerebral palsy sense I had to learn him and so that was the painful part and I think most parents don't really want to admit that that expectation and that dream that they had for their child 
kind of dies when you get those diagnoses. And it doesn't yeah. And it doesn't have to be CP. It can be autism. It can be spina bifida. It can be it, it can be anything that is atypical of normal birth. Yes. That's yeah. That's the part I think the general public doesn't get. It doesn't have to be something acute. It can right. be something small. And a parent will still have that effect emotionally. Mm-hmm. Why is this happening to my baby? Why is this happening to my baby? Every stage that Jeremiah went through Every growth stage was a constant reminder that this cerebral palsy thing was really a thing. Um, you know, first day, you, you know, as parents, we think about their first day of school, their first dance, their first kiss, all of that. My son's first day of school, he was on an ortho bus. And while I was excited for him to go to school, I was sad because I'm like, he don't get to run off the bus like Ronald did on the first day and say, mommy, I went to school. And, you know, I don't get to say, well, what did you do? You know, Jeremiah, how was your first day? I had to read it in the book from the teacher to tell me what he did on the first day. Or, you know, or maybe show him pictures and things like that to see if he responded to what they taught him at school and stuff. So it was different. Everything was different. Wow. Wow. And so with that, going into Jeremiah's development over the years, when did the spiritual freedom start to love and accept Jeremiah as he is? I'm not talking about his body. I mean him as a Because sometimes the parents forget. Your child is a whole individual. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to say the, the spiritual freedom for me started um, probably after I wrote my first book, How Do I Handle a Special Needs Child? So that happened. I think I released the book shortly after uh, my mom passed in 2008. So you figure from the time in 2000 to 2008, that's how long it took me to start the journey to to free myself. And I started my blog, Breaking Free, which I before all of this technology came and I would sit and type and be, you know, transparent and raw about how I was feeling until it became overwhelming. Because I, I didn't care that anybody knew it. I just felt like if the wrong they probably would have thought that I needed to be in the insane asylum. So I kind of scaled back on on that part. And I started, once we got the technology we have now, I started doing podcasts and things like that. Um, yeah, because saying it felt like it was more therapeutic for me to talk to a physical person than for me to type blindly for, you know, people to judge and stuff. And um, before we segue into 
your podcast. I just want to give you a history on how we actually met and bonded. A work of God, us being friends, us helping each other develop and grow spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, we we met at church. Yep, actually, actually, <laughs> actually, the story technically goes like this: one night, our pastor called me and told me about you. Okay, yeah, that's what happened. To give you some form of encouragement. Now, I talked to her with the response of, okay, I'll talk to you. I don't know what encouragement I was going to because I was going my own. But I happened to find you on social media and we started talking. And this sibling-like bond that the Lord has created between us. I am so grateful. At the onset of it, I was like, help you how. Exactly. I know. Because I say the same thing. What am I supposed to say to him? It was like, I it was like looking at Jeremiah in the future and I'm like, what do you say? My son is not there yet, but I I was I was excited though because I'm like wow if I get to talk to him then he can kind of tell me what this is like at this stage and that would help me out if he's open to it. Oh wow! See, I had no idea you felt like that. I'm just I'm just finding this out now. So this is a completely <laughs> that out. from the very first conversation we had. We clicked like that, you guys. It was amazing. Yep. Yep, it was like we had known each other for years. Yes, yes. And it's still that way to this day. We have, good Lord, we have laughed together. We have cried together. We have worshipped together. We have prayed together. Oh, my goodness. Went through so some trials and tribulations together. And I couldn't have I couldn't have asked God for a better little brother. I couldn't. I love my little brothers, all three of them. Not you know, nothing, you know, my little bro- my little brothers, but I mean just the, the bond and the connection God has given uh, given us, I am I am so grateful for because all of that led to this. Amen, amen. And I just want to say this. When people started sharing with me 
portions of her testimony and journey, it began to help heal me and help me and my mother's journey a lot more. Monique was transparent in places that my mother was not. My mother was not to share her where though Monique was ready, Monique was ready to admit to the guilt she felt and the shame she felt. Jeremiah getting diagnosed with the constant struggle that it is to take care of, especially these kids. But my mother was just not in a place to be transparent. Right. Chuck through it, but then she would say things where it would come out exactly how she was feeling, but again, she would go back into her hole. I'm I'm reminded of a situation where my mother was having a party, and she had said, that if she felt like she was going to die, she would kill me and then kill herself to save me from the suffering of not being taken care of. Right. Yeah. Even grasp that I heard her say that, but I did, and I was completely mortified because of it. Monique, did you ever feel that way concerning Jeremiah? Absolutely. Um, we were living um, in the shelter. I remember it so well um, because that's one of my pivotal moments. I was I was in therapy. And they had put me on medicine for uh, depression. And I think I only took about one dose because I didn't like the way it made me feel. I immediately started feeling like I could possibly could kill somebody and myself. I just wasn't myself. Um, I wasn't really eating, sleeping. Um, I was, you know, just going through it in my mind, how was I going to provide for my kids with no husband anymore, no job, no place to live. And I was like, I refuse to let my children go through the trauma that I went through, not having both parents in the home and all of that. And so I remember one day I had given them baths and they were still small enough to get in the bathtub with me. So we all took baths. And I went into the living room to, um, you know, get a, get us all dressed and stuff. And I remember get, getting down on my knees and some song was playing. And I can't recall this song, but it was a worship song. And I got down on my knees and held both of them in my arms. And I cried. And I said, God, I, I can't. This is not what I want for them. This certainly is not what I want for me. And so I'm asking that if our lives are not going to get better than this, 
Just let just let us die. Just let us die and get it over with. And then I was like, and then I was like, because I'm just feeling like at this point, I am not going to let my kids grow up with this mess going on, you know, like your mom and the world and stuff. And at one point I sat there in that brief moment and I said, well, shoot, I, you know, I ain't got to wait for God to do it. I could just do it myself and then we'll be gone and nobody has to worry about helping me with Jeremiah. Nobody has to keep telling me in my ear, I told you so. You should have never married him and all this other stuff. I mean, we went through a lot. You know, I mean, you would think that your family and things like that would be supportive. No, not really. Some of them were, some of them weren't. I didn't need you to keep broadcasting it to me. You know, I felt horrible enough. I had to learn for myself. And so, yeah, there was a point where I literally was going to take us out and be done with it. No notes, no nothing. And let it be what it was going to be because I that's not the life I wanted for them. That's not the life that I envisioned when I got married. I thought I was going to have a cute house on the paper that we always drew with the white picket fence and a nice car. And it was anything but that. Yeah. And when you when you first shared that with me, all of the stuff I had experienced in my childhood and in my teenagers, all of it made so much sense. But then here is also the other part of my bond with Monique that made it's so cool and that has been such a healing for me. Monique allowed me to be transparent and share my end of what was going on. Uh, I didn't feel good enough for my mom. Uh, mm-hmm. To not have her worry about me. How mm-hmm. I tried to walk just to somehow give her a break because a lot of my family members were not around. Right, right. You know, um, Jeremiah has his aunts involved and stuff. I didn't have that growing up. My aunts and uncles didn't call my mom and say, well, you know, he's that left. So I grew up a lot more isolated than Jeremiah, which yeah. was like a burden for fortune. And this bond that Monique and I have has allowed me to be naked before her without change. And I mean that. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. And for all of these special needs parents, if you want copies of the book, you can find her latest book, 
Mississippi to Georgia is simply called Jeremiah the Jackrabbit. You can buy it. Yep, Jeremiah the Jackrabbit. Or are you still allowing people to buy your books from you, Monique? Say that again. Are you still allowing people to buy your books directly from you? Absolutely. They could go to my um, website at www.imjusmo.com. I'm just Mo. And um, it is on there along with my um, other books as well. Jeremiah the Jackrabbit is at the top of the page, I believe it is. Yeah. Now, about this podcast that you had, having a moment with Moni, when did that start? Um, I can't remember exactly when I did my first episode. It's been a year and some change already, I believe. And um, I just, when I was talking about a podcast, I'm like, huh, I can do that. Then I ain't got to, you know, do much, do too much writing on my blog anymore. I could just post, you know, my voice recordings there and share all over. And so I just say, let me throw my hat in the ring. I found a nice little microphone, starter mic on Amazon. And I went for it. Um, I think one of my most viewed episodes was the one about caregiver burnout, where I just, bear, when I say I buried my soul, I mean, it was gloves off. It was just knock out, drag out. And that's the episode that people um, reach out to me about to this day. And almost two years later, um, I just, I just told the truth. And so I, Different topics. I talk about what happens with Jeremiah's school, uh, navigating through community supports, trying to maintain employment, dating, finding myself again now that he's an adult. All of those things. It's not just about cerebral palsy or parenting him. It's everything surrounding that and everything in between. And so I talk about all of it. Puberty, you know, <laughs> and you know, body changes with him, attitude, you know, attitudes, uh, the stuff that I go through within my family circle or my friend circle. I'm I'm just, you know, it's like a spotlight on my life, my daily life, taking care of him and my brother. Amen, amen, amen. Tell everybody how they can hear your podcast. Uh, my podcast, Having a Moment with Moni, M-O-N-I, is everywhere. Streaming is, you know, all, on all major streaming platforms. It's on iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, Anchor, Spreaker, you name it. That's where it is. It's everywhere. Yep. And as I stated when we first started the episode... Monique has been a major influence on these podcasts. Definitely something that I was not trying to do, y'all. Not at all. <laughs> you got to come out your comfort zone like you used to tell me. So I am so proud of you. Let me say that publicly. I am absolutely proud of you. We have come so, so far from when we first met. God has enlarged us and 
enlarged our territory. And I am on the edge of my seat with what he's getting ready to do next in your life. And I get to have a front row seat. And so I'm excited. And, you know, I'm I'm just I'm just geared up because I already know it's gonna be huge and monumental. And so to say that I know you and I and I'm not gonna have to make an appointment to see you like everybody else gonna have to do. Yeah, I'm a, I'm one proud big sis. Oh, and you know you all the funny thing about it is it's also this side of God the limits and all the frustrations you think that your parents have, you now place that on yourself. So there was a time where I didn't see any of this. Like when like when Monique and I met, I was actually still struggling with the idea of doing ministry. Mm-hmm. And the first time mm-hmm. we Monique said, and you're not preaching because. Uh huh. I did. And my attitude was, <laughs> why? Ain't nobody trying to hear me preach nothing. Lies. <laughs> but it took. It took Monique and several other people that have come into my life to. Push me into God. Yes, yes. Well, I, I mean, I wasn't think. either. Remember? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we both were two people on the run, running. We running from God, both of us. I would prophesy to him, and he was like, "Mm-hmm," and he would prophesy to me, and I would say, "Mm-hmm." <laughs> So I'm just thankful of how God turned everything around for both of our benefits in a recent interview. I remember during those days, I was on the phone with her when she would be in her car crying, not wanting to come in the house. Yes. I thought she was killing I thought Monique was going to do something to herself. But God would always mm-hmm. every time she felt like she was about to break, she would call me and I would sit with her and let her cry. I would sit with her and feel her boo-hoo. Maybe do that sometimes every day if needed. Yeah, I remember a few times I would call you and I couldn't even say nothing. And you and you already knew. I would be wheezing because I'm trying to get the words out. You'd be like, breathe, breathe. Okay, you know, cry it out. Just go ahead. And then when you're ready to talk to me, you can. I couldn't even articulate some days what was going on with me. All of the I knew is that I needed help because I was in trouble. And I'm so I'm so grateful now because 
And I say this on another show. These are the kind of friends that you need. You need these kind of friends that will be a friend where you need a friend that will sit there and go the distance with you in prayer and intercession if necessary. Not just tell me you go pray for me and hang up, but you know I'm screaming on the other end of the phone because you're busy. That will take the time and stop everything they're doing and pray and spend some time with you if necessary. And then keep calling to check on you and follow up. They're just not going to leave you alone because if they don't hear from you, they calling or they sending out the squad to come check on you. And you were all of that to me, and I will be forever grateful for that. I, I, I can honestly say that if I hadn't had that kind of love and, and that kind of intercession, I might not be here now. And so I thank God for God, and I thank God for you. Amen. I'm just going to share one last experience with the viewers before we pray and then wrap up this podcast. I think the most crucial time that Monique has been there for me was when my mom died. And I was not y'all when I tell you I was not cool I I was losing it a little bit at a time. Yeah. And Monique was one of the few people that I, I could sit on the phone with and just sob and cry. I mean, I could be on the phone with her and just go at the most random time. I miss my mama. Yeah, and I wish I could have been there to hold you and stuff. I really do, because the mom and me was like, oh, my goodness. I just, you know, I was like, Lord, let him feel the love that's permeating from me to him since I can't physically hold him at this point. And I mean, because I've been there, you know, my mom has been gone almost 13, maybe 13 years, almost 14, and it feels the same. So I understood how you felt, and I could sympathize. Because I just couldn't, I couldn't imagine my well-being. Right. Without I was not prepared for that. Now, we know that some parents do not need, but when you're a special needs child, and you don't have too many attachments outside of you, if you do have a strong connection with the to lose your parents because your support system has just not ended it. And I thank God for me helping me through that. And let me tell you, that's one of the biggest fears of us as parents. I... I I fear if God takes me home before Jeremiah because I know for myself there's nobody in my family that's adequate enough to fully care for him in the way that he needs to be cared for. And that's a scary thing to know that it's you or nothing and possibly foster care or something like that, lest the Lord raise somebody else up. That weighs heavily on my mind and my decision making now that he's 21. 
Mo, do you have a word of encouragement for any special needs parents out there? I would say to you that there are going to be days that are going to be tougher than others. You're going to have some, you're going to reach some milestones and then you're going to feel like you done went backwards a few. You're going to have really upbeat days and drag out days and some sleepless nights. But understand that the Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivers us from them all. No matter what the issue is, if you put your trust and allow your faith to sustain you, God is ever-present help in the midst of trouble and whatever we're dealing with. And I'm speaking this from example. I'm not just saying that because these are Bible verses. God has literally changed my life for the better from the dark place that I used to be in. And now that I am in this place of freedom, I get to minister to you guys and tell you that you are capable of, of being what your child needs. You are capable of handling what's going on with your child or your loved one. God is not crazy and he's not stupid. He does not give you more than you can bear. Trust me, I've debated that topic with God for years, but here I am and I'm still standing. Be encouraged. Forgive yourself. That's one of the things that I've said numerous times on numerous podcasts. Forgive yourself. You did nothing wrong. Love yourself first. Nourish your spirit. Surround yourself with positivity and like-minded people who want to see you win. Pace yourself with your child or your loved one. Rome was not built in a day. So you're not going to get the hang of every little thing because your child, just like you, is constantly growing and changing and thriving. Take one situation and one issue at a time. And when all of those things seem to be too much, there is therapy and there is community. Those are the two most important parts of this journey. God awesome and he's given us some awesome psychologist that is that is able to help guide you and navigate you through the pressure points uh when you're feeling overwhelmed or drained it's okay to have jesus and a therapist amen and he's given us people like each other to be able to pour into us who has been through these things and to say hey this is how i got through it and so always remember that you are not alone even though you feel like it and there's always someone who's going through the same thing as you or worse. So find a spot to be grateful. Find a spot that you can clearly see God working in and focus on that and be grateful. Amen, amen. Mo, I'm going to ask you to do the honors of and then we're going to close out this all right. Oh, you said I'm playing or you? You're the guest. I'm going to let you have. Oh, okay. Word. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I, I, that I heard you right. Okay. All right. So let us pray, you guys. Amen. Father, we just thank you. We give you honor and we give you glory, Lord, because you're God and because you're good. Father, we thank you that this podcast is reaching 
countries and territories that we have not even stepped foot in, Lord. I thank you, Lord God, for your manservant, Cedric, Lord God, that you continue to bless him as he speaks to the masses and share his story of healing and deliverance and trial and triumph. Father, I pray for every special needs family under the sound of my voice who will hear this podcast. Father, let them know, Lord God, that you are the comforter, Lord God, and that you have never left them, nor will you forsake them. I speak strength to every person who's listening to this podcast. I speak strength. I speak peace in the name of Jesus. And I pray that you will rest in God, that you will rest in the comfort and his will that you will rest knowing that God has all things in control if you just trust and have faith. I pray, Lord God, that you bless and keep every last one of those individuals who are in trouble, Lord God, and seeking you for hope and answers who was like me, Father, who felt like death was a better deal than life. And I speak life to every man, woman, boy, and girl who listens to this podcast. In the name of Jesus, I decree and declare that you shall live and not die to declare the works of the Lord in the land of the living. Father, I pray for healing in the inner man for the families and the parents, oh God. I pray for healing from from sicknesses, illnesses, and diseases. I pray for healing for every breach in the body, Lord God, that is not functioning as you have commanded to be, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, for the testimonies that will come as a result of this podcast. In Jesus' name, I pray and I thank you. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. This concludes our episode of Completely Cedric. Thank you and God bless everyone. Good night.